Hey, this is Dave Ryder from Cullamunda Church of Christ. Really praying this podcast blesses you. If you'd like to hear more of our story, how about you go to our webpage, Cullamunda.church. Awesome. Well, it's a pleasure to be with you, Cullamunda Church. Thank you so much for the warm welcome. And uh, thank you, Dave, for the kind introduction and for the invitation to come and spend some time with you beautiful people. Uh, This, of course, is my first time to your beautiful church, so I've looked forward to spending this time with you with great anticipation, having heard so many wonderful things about you, and of course, it is always a privilege and a pleasure to be able to share from the Word of God, and so I'm thankful for the opportunity to do that again today. Um, I often get asked the question, who do you support, Um, you know, in the rugby and the cricket, now, now that I'm an Australian citizen, having been born and raised in Johannesburg, And so I explain it to people like this. I say, well, South Africa is like my mother. Australia is like my wife. Right? So South Africa gave life to me, birthed me, raised me, made me the man that I am today. But Australia has won my heart. Now, now, you don't have to stop loving your mother in order to start loving your wife. In fact, I suggest you do both. However, if you ever find yourself caught in a conflict between your mother and your wife, always side with your wife, all right? Aussie, 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 all right? So that's why I support the Australians and happy to do so. Well, um, when I was uh, growing up as a child, I had uh, a pretty intense fear of the dark. Um, I know many children do, and in fact, it's uh, not uncommon for many adults even to feel a twinge of like angst and anxiety when they find themselves immersed in in total darkness, uh, particularly when they're alone in that darkness. But for me, my my childhood fear of the dark was quite pronounced and and quite protracted. It was intense and acute. And I remember on many occasions waking up in the middle of the night to find my bedroom saturated in darkness. And uh, I remember feeling that paralyzing sense of fear that, that accompanies that realization. And I remember so clearly the things that I used to see in the dark. And I had quite an active and vivid imagination. And I remember that one particular image that I would kind of conjure up would be of a large green-headed man peeking around my doorway into my bedroom. Now, I've got no idea where that image came from. And I have no idea why it is so deeply embedded in my mind, but I can remember it so clearly. I would awake in the night, and I would kind of look at where my doorway was, and I would just imagine this guy with a large green head peering around the doorway, <laughs> looking into the room. Now, he never came in, never did anything, just looked around the room. And I lay there in paralyzing fear, and so I would then just call out at the top of my voice, you know, Mommy, <laughs> Mommy. And then eventually... My mom would hear and she'd come stumbling into the room, like, you know, rubbing her eyes. And she would turn on the light and instantly the green-headed man would disappear and all the world would be right as it should be, okay? But that is the nature of darkness. Right? Darkness causes you to see things that are not really there and to believe things that are not really true. It's like, have you ever been, you know, walking down the side of your house at night, uh, maybe to go turn off the reticulation or close a gate or get something from the shed, and you inadvertently walk through a spider's web, right? And have you noticed that no matter how old you are or how many times you've walked through a spider's web, the moment you do, you instantly turn into a ninja, (laughs) right? Because even though you've only walked through a single silvery strand of web, what you imagine you have walked through is this, (laughs) right? Right? 
And what you imagine dropping on your head and scurrying down the back of your shirt is this. Right? You have these vivid pictures of spiders the size of your hand dropping onto your head and scurrying over your face. And so you have to eliminate every possible angle of attack, right? It's called an arachnoleptic fit, right? And we've all had them. But that is the nature of darkness. Darkness causes you to see things that are not really there and to believe things that are not really true. And of course, the light is the absolute opposite. Light brings clarity. Light reveals reality. Light causes us to see things the way they really are and to believe things that are indeed really true. And so I love it that the Bible, when it talks about this event that we are about to celebrate like in five days' time, the birth of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the coming of the Son of God, the incarnation of God in human flesh. When the Bible describes that particular event, it talks about it as light breaking into the darkness in our world. And so John the Apostle, in the first chapter of his gospel, says these words in John 1, verse 4 to 5. He says, He, Jesus, gave life to everything that was created. And His life brought light to everyone. That light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. I love that. Uh, the New King James Version says, In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. And so the first thing that John is telling us here is that Jesus came into the world as the light of the world to dispel the darkness in the world. Jesus came to the world as the light of the world to dispel the darkness in the world. And you don't have to look far and wide to see that our world is in darkness. You only have to turn on the television, listen to the news, switch on the radio, pick up a newspaper, and you will very quickly be confronted with the reality of the darkness in our world. Spiritual darkness, social darkness, cultural darkness, relational darkness, moral darkness. It's everywhere. It's all around us. Crime and corruption in business and politics. Uh, sickness and disease, pain and suffering, hatred and animosity, war and conflict, moral depravity, and spiritual blindness. They are everywhere. The darkness is all around us. And so a big part of why Jesus came was to be light in that darkness and to dispel that darkness, to bring hope where there is despair and to bring joy where there is sorrow and to bring comfort where there is grief and to bring life where there is death. In other words, to bring light to the darkness. Now, you may be sitting there thinking, well, if that's true, and Jesus came to the world as the light of the world to dispel the darkness in the world, why is there still so much darkness around us? And the answer is simply because the process of dispelling that darkness is continual and gradual. Yes, there will come a day when Jesus once and for all, fully and finally, will dispel the darkness in this world and rid the world of all suffering, all sickness, all disease, and all pain. He will wipe away every tear, and He will illuminate this world with the glory of His presence. And once and for all, fully and finally, the world will be rid of the darkness. But in the meantime, the dispelling of the darkness is a continual and a gradual process that plays out over time. So that's why Jesus, when teaching about the kingdom of God, He said, look, it's like leaven or yeast being placed into a lump of dough. Over time, gradually, that yeast will permeate the dough and eventually affect the whole. But there is a gradual, ongoing, continual process of influence. 
So with the first coming of Jesus, the first advent, there was an ushering in of the kingdom of God, the beginning of the righteous rule and reign of God being restored to earth. And there will come a day with the second advent of Christ, with his return, that that kingdom of God will be consummated, that the full realization of our salvation will be enacted. And the full righteous rule of God will be reinstated to earth and Jesus will rule and reign as our righteous and just King. And what a glorious day that should be. We should look forward with anticipation to that day. And I reckon, you know, the reason why so many believers today have lost their anticipation of the, the, or their appreciation of the return of Christ is because they have lost their anticipation of it. But when you read the New Testament, you find those New Testament believers lived in constant anticipation of the return of Christ. And so we're supposed to live like, you know, four-year-olds three days out from Christmas. We're supposed to live with excitement and anticipation that the return of Christ could be any moment. And that one day that day will come. And when it comes, it will be a glorious day. But in the meantime, in the meantime, the task of carrying the light of the life of Christ and dispelling the darkness over time, through this gradual, continual, ongoing process, falls to you and it falls to me. Yeah. Right? And so Jesus said in John 9, verse 5, He said, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. The insinuation and implication being that there would come a day when He was no longer in the world. And when He was no longer in the world, He would cease to be the light of the world. But then Jesus turned around and said to his disciples, as the Father has sent me, so now I too am sending you. You are now salt of the earth and you are now light of the world. So the responsibility to continue that mission and mandate of Jesus to dispel the darkness in the world falls to you and it falls to me. And so we are now mandated to go into all the world and to bring hope where there is despair and to bring help where there is need and to bring healing where there is hurt and to bring kindness where there is antagonism and to show love where there is hatred and to be peacemakers in the middle of conflict, to bring life where there is death. And what an awesome responsibility that is. Now, the apostolic writers in the New Testament constantly reaffirmed and, and restated this mandate that has fallen to us. So Paul, for example, in Ephesians 5, verse 8 to 11, said these words. He said, at one time you were in the dark, but now you are in the light because of what the Lord has done. So live like children of the light. The light produces what is completely good, right, and true. So have nothing to do with the acts of darkness. They don't produce anything good. Right? Live as children of the light. Now, the light is the opposite of the darkness. So whenever you and I encounter moral, social, spiritual, or, or cultural darkness, we are supposed to respond with the op opposite. Right? So, so when you see somebody hungry, feed them. When you see somebody naked, clothe them. When you see uh, hatred and animosity retaliate with love. Um, when you see somebody suffering need, step in and be the solution. When you see people in conflict and disunity, step in and be a peacemaker. That is what it is to live as children of the light, to simply respond in the opposite to whatever the darkness is that is manifesting. Uh, in Romans 13, verse 11 to 13, Paul sums this up really neatly for us when he says the following. He says, when you do these things, Keep in mind the times we are living in. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your sleep. The full effects of our salvation are closer now than when we first believed in Christ. 
right? With every day that passes, we get a day closer to that inevitable day when Jesus Christ will return, wrap up human history as we know it, usher in the full realization of the kingdom of God and the full effect of our salvation, the salvation that became ours the day we first put our faith in Jesus. That day is coming, right? He says the full effects of our salvation are closer now than when we first believed in Christ. The dark night of evil is nearly over. Not yet, but nearly. It's nearly over, and the day of Christ's return is almost here. So, let us get rid of the works of darkness that harm us, and let us do the works of light that protect us. Let us act as we should, like people living in the daytime. Have nothing to do with wild parties, and don't get drunk. That's a prophetic word for somebody here today. (laughs) Don't get drunk. Don't take part in sexual sins or evil conduct. Don't fight with each other or be jealous of anyone because those are the works of darkness, right? Paul is saying, live as children of the light. Conduct yourself in the light. Carry the light of the life of Christ because in so doing, you will dispel the darkness in this world with the light of the life of Christ that you have received from Him. And you see, the problem with the darkness, as I said earlier, is that it causes people to see things that are not really there and believe things that are not really true. And the problem with the moral and social and cultural and spiritual darkness in our world today is that it causes people to see things about God that are not true and to believe things about God that are not true. It's the darkness in our world that causes people to question whether or not God is even there. It's often the darkness in our world that causes people to question whether or not God cares if He does indeed exist. It's the darkness in the world that that causes people to assume that God is indifferent or removed or disconnected or disinterested in the reality of our lives. And so that darkness needs to be dispelled. And, and, And a big part of why Jesus came as the light of the world is to help people see God. So Jesus came to the world as the light of the world, not only to dispel the darkness in the world, but to help the world see God. To see God for who He really is. Um, I remember when I was in school, one of my, my favorite subjects was science. Any, anyone else love science? Any science fans? Yep, one, two, three, four, five, six of you, right? That's pretty much the percentage of people who love science in the world, right? But science was a, a wonderful subject. And I remember one of the many things we learned in science is that not all light is created equal. So light exists on a spectrum. And about 10% of the radiation that comes to us from the sun comes in the form of UV light, ultraviolet light, and it's imperceptible to the human eye. But that UV light can be replicated with dark light machines. So you can, you can put a dark light machine in a darkened area and flood that room with UV light. And when you do, it causes a chemical reaction in certain substances that causes them to glow. So you see this phenomenon in nature. There are some organisms that, that have this ability to absorb this UV light and then, and then radiated out and they glow in the dark. Uh, You get paint that you can put on like clothing or on signs. And and of course, when you turn off the light under UV light, it glows. Um, You can get ink that you kind of can use for stamps. And and people often use this when they go to nightclubs or when they're voting. They'll put an ink stamp on your hand that that is invisible to the human eye. But the moment you put that ink under the UV light, it glows. And so all of a sudden, what was previously unseen becomes seen. What was imperceivable becomes perceivable because it's in the right light. 
And this is kind of what John's getting at here. He's saying that Jesus came into the world as a unique source of light and a unique kind of light to illuminate the hearts and minds of humanity to something very specific, something that was not perceivable before, and that is the true nature of God. He came to help us see for the first time in crystal clarity with high definition the true nature of God. Because Jesus came as this unique source of life. Jesus himself said, hey, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Right? So if you want to know what God is like, you just have to look at Jesus. If you want to know what God values, look at Jesus. If you want to know what God prioritizes, look at Jesus. If you want to know what God thinks and what God feels, just look at Jesus. Right? Because he is the fullest and most complete and most profound revelation of God the world has ever seen. And as such, as the fullest and most complete revelation of God, he challenges all the assumptions that people make about God. So, so for example, those who um, assumed that God was this disembodied, impersonal, uh, cosmological force, some kind of energy floating out there in the ether, discover in Jesus, no, God is a person. God is a being. God is relational, and He's knowable, and He's accessible. God is rational, and He's emotional. He thinks, and He feels. He speaks, and He listens. You can know Him, and you can have a relationship with Him. Right? Those who assumed that God was angry, and vengeful, and vindictive, and antagonistic, and like against us, discovered in Jesus, no, hold on. God is loving, and God is merciful. God is kind, and God is patient. God is long-suffering, and God is wanting to be with us, not far from us. Uh, those who assumed that God was indifferent and, and far removed, somewhere there on the other side of the cosmos, like disinterested in, in human affairs, discovered, no, God wants to be near us. God is willing to clothe Himself in human flesh and immerse Himself in the reality of our experience and our suffering and our pain. He's willing to roll up His sleeves and get down into the trenches and come alongside us. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. And so Jesus, as the fullest, most profound, most complete revelation that the world has ever seen, challenged all the assumptions that people had about God, and He presented humanity for the very first time with the clearest, fullest, most wonderful, and most profound revelation of God. He came to help us see God. And of course, when you and I live as children of the light, and we walk in the light, then we not only continue the mission of Jesus to dispel the darkness in the world, but we help other people see God. We help people see God. It's like, have you noticed every time you open the fridge, what happens? The light goes on, right? Every fridge has a light inside. I've often wondered why there's a light in the fridge, but not in the freezer. But that's a philosophical conundrum for another day. Right? But every time you open the fridge, what happens? The light goes on. Why? Because somebody had the common sense to put a light in the fridge so that when you open it up, you can see what's going on inside the fridge, right? And I reckon God has placed you and me in the world as the light of the world so that other people can see not what we are doing, but what God is doing in the world. So they can get a sense of who God is and what God is up to by looking at us. In other words, we're not here to draw attention to ourselves. We are here to direct attention toward Jesus and, and His reputation rides on our representation. I don't know about you, but I find that a sobering thought, right? That his reputation rides on our representation. I don't know if you're aware of this, but Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5.14, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are a goodwill ambassador of the kingdom of God. And you have two responsibilities, representation and reconciliation. 
You are here to represent God to others and reconcile others to God. And his reputation rides on that representation. In other words, people are going to make value judgments about God and about the faith and about church and about following Jesus based on their observation of you and me. Oh, gosh. Wonderful privilege, but an awesome responsibility. All right? And so for that reason, John, again, the apostle, this time in his epistle, encourages us and exhorts us with these words. 1 John 2, verse 6 to 10. He says, those who claim to belong to him. Anyone fit that bill here today? Right? Three of you. Those who claim to belong to him must live just as Jesus did. Dear friends, I'm not writing to you a new command. Instead, I'm writing one you have had since the beginning. Its truth was shown in how Jesus lived and is also shown in how you live. That's because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. In other words, John is saying what Paul is saying, live as children of the light. Because in doing so, you will dispel the darkness and you will help people see God for who He really is. Amen? Amen. And then thirdly and finally, the third and last reason why Jesus came to the world as the light of the world is to lead the world to God. To lead the world to God. You see, Jesus came not only to help the world see who God really is, but to ultimately lead the world back to God. That's why Jesus said in John 8 verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Um, Who you follow in life is really important. Because who you follow determines where you finish. I, I remember many years ago, in, in our final year of school, we decided to take a trip, myself and 11 of my friends, down, down to the south coast. We were still living in Johannesburg at the time. So we went down in a convoy, three cars, four guys in each car. And the guy in the front was supposed to know where he was going. And uh, this was before the days of GPS and uh, you know, Google Maps. And, and so we set out at night, and we were driving, and about an hour and a half into the journey... He pulls over to the side of the road, so we all pull over behind him, and he gets out, and he says, I think we're on the wrong road. I think I took a wrong turn. We're heading in the wrong direction, right? We're supposed to be going, like, southeast. We're going southwest, and we were, like, 300 kilometers off course, right? And we were all as mad as hell, but we were all on the wrong road in the wrong direction because we were following the wrong instruction. And who you follow in life is so important because it will determine not only the direction of your life, but the ultimate destination of your life. Who you follow is so important because who you follow determines where you finish. And so that's why Jesus said, follow me. Follow me. Because he knew he was the only one who had the capacity to lead humanity back to a right and restored relationship with God. And everybody's following somebody. Today there are like 1.8 billion people following the teachings of Muhammad in the Quran. There are 1.2 billion people following the teachings of Hinduism. There's like 535 million people following the teachings of the Buddha. And and there were even 113 million people following Justin Bieber. (laughs) The believers, right? (laughs) Like, I mean, on Twitter, obviously. 340 million people on Twitter, over a billion people on Instagram, all following each other. So everybody's following somebody. The question is, who are you following? And and that's why Jesus said, follow me, because he knew he had the ability to lead humanity back to a right and restored relationship with God. And he came so that you and I could enjoy that relationship. 
He came so that you and I could not only see God for who He really is, but so that we could know God for who He really is. Because how many of you know there's a big difference between seeing someone for who they are and knowing them personally and intimately in a firsthand experiential kind of way? My wife and I celebrated our 20th wedding anniversary like a week ago. But I can remember like it was yesterday, the day I first saw her. I was in a church service just like this. I was standing on stage playing bass guitar, just doing my thing, <laughs> loving the Lord, leading worship. And I glanced over, and she was in this section over here on the left, about halfway up. And she was standing with her hands raised, just worshiping Jesus. And honestly, it looked like a spotlight had dropped on her. That's what it looked like, right? Maybe it was. <laughs> Maybe it was like a little spotlight. And I saw her, and the moment I saw her, I thought, oh, hello. I think I want to get to know you, right? <laughs> So unspiritual. But of course, that then, that then led to a series of meetings, and we started dating, and we got engaged, and now we're married. We've been married for 20 years, and she's an intimate and integral part of my life. Because there's a big difference for, for, from, from seeing someone for who they really are and knowing them for who they really are. And so Jesus came to this world as the light of the world so that you and I could enter into a relationship with the living God, so that we could have not only a right relationship to God, but a right relationship with God. And, and, and that's a, there's a big difference between the two, right? Like I, I, have a, I have a relationship to Scott Morrison, but I don't have a relationship with Scott Morrison. Okay, Scott Morrison is my prime minister as a citizen of Australia, so I have a relationship to him, that of citizen and prime minister. And, and Scott Morrison can make decisions and exercise authority and issue decrees, and, and they affect my life. But I don't know him, and he doesn't know me. If we walk past each other in the street, he would, I would recognize him, but he wouldn't recognize me. We never talk. He never calls. We have no relationship, right? So I have a relationship to him, but I don't have a relationship with him. And, and the wonderful thing about what God did in and through the person of Jesus is that he not only enabled us to come back into right relationship to God, but he opened the door for a relationship with God so that you and I could know him intimately, closely, personally, and, and, and be restored to a right and correct relationship with Him. And that, friends, is the greatest gift of all. And it's that gift, the gift of a personal, relational connection to the living God, that is not only the primary reason Jesus came, but it is the key. It is the secret to you and I fulfilling the biblical mandate that God has given us as the church to walk in the light, to be children of the light, to carry the light of the life of Christ out into the world, to dispel the darkness, to reveal God, and to reconcile others to God. It's that relationship, right? Because without that relationship, it is impossible to live that light of life, right? Like uh, I, I came back from... Um, Singapore a while ago, I was speaking over, overseas at a conference, and uh, on the way back, I stopped at the airport shop to pick up some gifts for the kids, and I, I bought my daughter a, a little t-shirt, a glow-in-the-dark t-shirt, and it says, you glow girl, right, across the front, <laughs> and it glows in the dark, so I gave it to her, and I, I explained to her, this glows in the dark, and so she immediately put it on, and, and kind of like ran to her room, turned off all the lights, and of course, nothing happened, because it had been sitting in my bag for the whole trip back. So I said to her, no, no, look here, this is how it works. And I showed her there was a little tag on the back of the shirt that said, if you want to see me in the night, you have to keep me in the light. Right? If you want to see me in the night, you have to keep me in the light. So I explained to her, you've got to keep this under the light for a certain amount of time and then put it on and go into the dark and watch what happens. So she did. She put it under her light for about 10 or 15 minutes. Then she whipped it on, ran into the room, turned off all the lights and right? <laughs> began to glow. Uh, and I think it's kind of like that with you, with you and me, right? If, if you and I 
wannabe glow-in-the-dark Christians. I mean, like in, in a metaphoric sense, all right? Um, if you want to be a glow-in-the-dark Christian, you've got to stay close to the source. You've got to be under the light. You've got to be in an intimate relationship with the source of that light, who is Jesus himself. And to the degree that we enter into that relationship, to that same degree, we will radiate his light, the light of his life, out into our community. So, Calamunda Church, I just sense that this morning, God is wanting to remind all of us and call all of us to a fresh, deep commitment to that mandate that He's placed upon our lives in this season, to be light of the world, to live in the light, to walk in the light, to, to shine the light of Christ in this dark world, to dispel the darkness, to reveal Christ to others, and help reconcile people to a right and restored relationship with God. And I just feel prompted to, to say this to you by the Spirit of God this morning, but you need to hear this this morning. Your light has not gone out. God has literally set you up as a light on a hill, quite literally, right? Your light has not gone out. Your lampstand is still in place, and it is time for you to radiate. It is time for you to shine. You don't have to be big. You don't have to be powerful. You don't have to have permission. You don't need a theological degree. You just have to be willing to say, Jesus, I will say yes to the mandate to go out into this world and to be the light of the world and to drive back the darkness in this world, to bring hope, to bring healing, to bring help, to bring deliverance, to bring encouragement, to bring life where there is death into this beautiful city, into this beautiful part of our world, and to honor your name in doing so. And I reckon if you would say yes to that call, you'll see God do some incredible and wonderful things through your availability and through your willingness. Can I get an amen? Amen. All right, let's stand up on our feet. We're going to pray together. Coming up, band, they're going to lead us in a song as we close this morning. But I'd love to take a moment to pray for you. And if you're comfortable doing so, just kind of raise your hands to God this morning just as a sign of receptivity and openness. And Father, we want to thank you so much today for what you are doing in our lives. We thank you, God, for the fact that you have called us all with a high and a holy calling to represent you and to serve you in this world. And I just simply pray for each of us, Father, that you would help us to recognize the urgency of the hour that we are in, the, the urgency of the mandate that you have placed upon our lives. I pray that you would help us to set aside every distraction and every discouragement and whatever it is that's keeping us from stepping up and stepping out and being light in this world. And I pray that you would help us to make a deep and profound, fresh, new commitment to representing you in this world as your ambassadors, as, as, your, as your kingdom apostles, as those sent into this world to carry the good news of all that you have done, Father, through your Son, Jesus. Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for its history. I thank you for its legacy. I thank you for its faithfulness. And I thank you for its future. And I thank you, Father, that you have got great things in store, Father, for this faith community. That your plans are plans to bless God, to give a future full of hope. I thank you, Father, for the, for the illumination that will radiate from out of this faith community into the hills area and beyond. I want to thank you, Father, for the new thing that you are going to do. I want to thank you, Father, that you've done wonderful things in the past, but what you are going to do in the future is going to eclipse everything you have done in the past. And I pray that you'll awaken in every single one of us an anticipation and a faith for that future so that your purpose may be served in and through our lives to the glory and honor of your name. And in Jesus' name we ask it. And everyone who agreed said...